the Beatitudes of Artist Sunday. Blessed are they who come to worship in this place of every age, ability, origin, gender, race, identity, orientation, or background, for they shall be called welcome. Blessed are they who seeketh out a community diverse in belief and opinion, for though we thinketh not alike, yea, we loveth as one, cleaving not to creed but to the bonds of covenant. Blessed are they who affirmeth the principles of Unitarian Universalism and who giveth as they are able of time, talent, and treasure, for in time they shall be called members. <laughs> Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after knowledge of membership, for they filleth out the blue visitor card that dwelleth <laughs> in the pew pocket before them, that they might heareth a call or readeth an email from the minister or the director of religious education. Blessed are they who readeth thoroughly their order of service, for they shall be called they who knoweth what goeth on. <laughs> Blessed are they who giveth of their 4th of July holiday to feedeth the hungry people at the Highland Blessing Dinner Cookout. For though volunteers cometh from many congregations, yet may they be fewer than in times past. And yea, twice blessed are they who signeth up in the foyer, that we might knoweth of them and pulleth not out our hair. <laughs> Blessed are the artists who play, sing, write, recite, or dance, paint, draw, sculpt, bake, or maketh beautiful adornments, for they shall be called awesome. Blessed are the performers who cometh forward to the appointed place at the appointed time, and yea, who performeth cleaving mightily unto their time limits, who introduceth not nor explaineth the work, but delighteth in it for its own sake. For verily I say unto thee that their name shall be written in the heavens and in the heart of Barbara. <laughs> Blessed are thou who would silence thy cell phone, and yet, Wouldst in silence tweeteth to thy friends the glory of this place. <laughs> Seriously. Blessed art thou, the congregation, for by thy participation thou dost join with the artist in the holy creation of worship. May it be a blessing unto thee, as thy presence is a blessing unto us, and may thou enjoyeth greatly thy time amongst us. Thank you. find peace in our own lives just by making room Let I 
open to the mystery space filled with me In the spirit of the free pulpit, the search for truth and meaning, let us be together in creative worship.
Women say, my body, my choice. And those who believe in a puppet master God hear blasphemy. Hear, even God can't use my body against my will. And know it for a cry that shatters age-old shackles the puppet keepers desperately need to keep in place. Yet some, who can't disagree with the sentiment or the choice, nevertheless recognize hubris in that cry. The universe does use us every day without our conscious choice. And there is shackles shattering in the inclusion into the human family of all who differ from the powerful in color, shape, size, or age of skin. Yes, and there is also shackle shattering in hearing the human echoed in dolphin, hawk, and tree, in water, rock, and star, and knowing that ours is not the only, nor even the most precious, life we destroy daily as we threaten our own extinction with our predations, our poisons, our sheer numbers. Our very consciousness requires that we be fully conscious procreators, co-creators, not mere containment vessels. For there is profound shackle-shattering, and experiencing the gift of our own creativity in the bonding communion of a pansensual, transsensual, freely shared celebration of life that is God enough for an earthling. The puppet keepers, in fear and loathing such empowerment, will ever try to frighten us into shackles to coerce the shackled, to tighten their own bonds and chain others alike. But here, a true choice to dissolve these shackles of the soul. May every act of recreation be wholly volitional, wholly participatory. May women refuse to bear against our will our means, our need, and that of our home sphere, and may our bearing ever be holy, a willing, creative participation in the universal dance, and may it ever blessed be.
There's a place that I remember all my dreams begin and end there. Oh, so young, we were invincible contenders. We'd climb the highest mountain where we could see forever. Claim it was the holy land, our life a sacred venture. We would fly so high and wild and free in all that splendor and surrender. Who we were and who we are and why we came here and defend that we could stay here forever. The road took yet another turn into the fire my feet would burn. It claimed me more than once. I learned that even when I did return, I'd lost some sense of innocence, as if that were my only chance to fly. So high and wild and free in all that splendor and remember. I was and who I am and why I came here and rescind that I could stay here forever. I never knew the sun just shined on the lucky ones. Gone were my joy, my family. Vanished like a morning song Whose sound has fallen to the ground Awaiting yet another round It's sung and sung and sung again The cycle may not ever end And here we are struck down again In feeble ways we rise again to fly So high and wild and free In all that splendor And remember will fly so high and wild and free in all that splendor and surrender. a story about a dog and a rabbit, a life lesson for me, and a story about a new business my father started. 
1951, when I was just five years old, I was a very curious child, and my father was very good at involving my sister and I in his projects to teach us techniques and responsibilities. He told my sister and I that we were going to be an integral part of a new family business and us kids would be involved on a daily basis. My dad told us that as a family we were going to build a concrete slab 20 feet long, 8 feet wide, with an 8-foot cyclone fence around it that was also covered with fence to keep limbs from falling into the structure, and it had a lockable gate. We built the pad and two, uh, a two-room doghouse. Uh, one side heated for the winter, and the other side a nice fan to cool the summer heat, and we did a great job. Needless to say, I was thoroughly confused, and he told us we were getting an AKA-registered national champion Sheltie, a dog that had been retired to stud service and cost $10,000. It was a lot of money in those days. It's a lot of money today. <laughs> then one Saturday morning, the dog arrived, and we quickly named him Fluffy by my sister and I. And he was a very cool dog, full of life, and very enthusiastic about his new home. I had no idea why. I thought maybe he had something to do with this stud service stuff. I didn't know. <laughs> my sister and I would take care of the dog. She would start every morning by hosing off the concrete pad, feeding and filling the dog's water bowl and so on, and making sure the gate was locked on her way out to protect this very valuable animal. I would repeat the process every day when I got home from school, hose off the pad, fill his water bowl, usually playing with him a bit, and then leave, locking the gate behind me. This went on for a few months, and as you might expect, I had become thoroughly entertained by this dog's new job. As folks dropped off their female shelties, I quickly learned what the term roll in the hay meant. I can remember thinking, cool. One day I came home, and to my horror, I found the gate open and the dog gone. And I knew my dad would never believe that my perfect older sister would never forget to lock the gate. I, in serious panic mode, climbed to the top of the cage and could easily see the neighbor, neighborhood backyards and called for the dog. And sure enough, there was Fluffy in the neighbor's backyard with a big white rabbit clenched tightly in his jaws and the dog having the time of his life slinging him from side to side with great enthusiasm, surely killing him in the process. I quickly jumped down, went over the fence, tossing the dog over the fence and all the while, he was getting his last fun, murdering this poor rabbit. I separated the two, locking Fluffy up and taking the rabbit into the house, having no idea why. I just knew that if my buddies would come home from school and if uh, I didn't want them to see Fluffy doing his thing with their rabbit for fear of retaliation. The rabbit was a mess, and I decided that I would have to give him a bath, removing the blood and the mud, and get him back in his yard as quickly as possible, and that's what I did, including, including using my mom's hair dryer, no tin punted, to dry this very dead rabbit. And I returned to the neighbor's yard and quickly opened the cage door and laid the rabbit to rest, thinking that the kids would hopefully believe that their pet simply passed away in his sleep. And with mission accomplished, I ran home, waiting for my dad to come home from work. Like most evenings, my dad would come home, make himself a scotch and water, 
grab a folding lawn chair and go out to Fluffy's cage and groom and play with his dog, and I typically would join him. Without seeming obvious, I did notice the kids and their parents all standing around the rabbit cage, soon mourning the passing of their pet rabbit. My dad noticed them and called out, Hey, Fred, how's it going? Fred walked over to the fence, and I hope you can relate to how just uncomfortable I was. And Fred said something very weird. This past weekend, our old rabbit died, and Judy and I had a little funeral and bury and, uh, and a burial and a few words for the rabbit. You know, for the kids, burying him right over there by the fence. And today we come home and that darn rabbit's back in his cage. <laughs> On the outside... The parking lot is nothing to notice. Blanched concrete. The scanner only screams when I wear my watch. I surrender my ID and wait until the jaws of the sally port mechanically yawn open and I stand in silence like an insect in a mason jar. And then the jaws open up again on the other side into a labyrinth of halls all emptying into nothing. Now my badge is striped with a sensor and that earns me the right to open one door into an ocean of orange jumpsuits. But on the inside, it's like an ark. Though no one enters two by two, but rather in a line, lockstep, disciplined stance. Oh, and at first, the gulf always seems so wide. We are not behind bars, so we can see up close. Teardrop tattoos, true Lone Star State proud. Rural, urban, black, white, north, south, male, female, all those polarities pull us apart until we meet on this tiny vessel and see ourselves surrounded by the same living water. And then our twos become one. We're like comma splices. We all run together. We talk about our mothers, our children, what it feels like to dance or to dream or get drunk, the stupid things we've done in life, our losses. All these conversations take us to common ground. Like, where do you buy the best donuts in Shreveport? Ah. Oh somewhere on Hearn Avenue, but go at four o'clock while they're still hot. Oh, we talk about semicolons and similes, but other lessons are learned there by all of us. Like maybe what divides us doesn't. On the inside, 
the line falls back into place. Inmates ready to return to cells, and I slip out a door, and I retrieve my state ID that takes me back to the outside, from the inside, where all of us, even for one moment, were rescued from this universal illusion that we are so separate. Thank you. Sister Act Two. Who I want to be is portrayed on primetime as fictional ideals.
Wiggle knows which, a flying nun, and that girl. The prim and proper one, so unlike so many stars of the daytime affairs, around a general hospital as the world turns with all my children. But between prime time and daytime, there lives a real-time kind of gal. Prism break. Inside a rainbow prism, the lavender ghetto gets as dark as noir novels about dead detectives searching for clues to reincarnation as a sultry blonde beyond stormy nights. Not motherhood or the house life I once imagined to be my sunshine, but from outside I see the rainbow is not me. of our lives glide by and slip away like fleeting thoughts running through our memories floating on thin air of love. The clock is ticking and it can't stop. Some people and some places growing dim. It all becomes a far-off dream in our minds. We reach for it, but it can't be captured again. Live life and savor it, for it is all that's real. Maybes aren't good enough, so we'll take the moment, make the moment, live the moment, love the moment now. Now. Now, now. 
clock is ticking and it can't stop but if our lives have meaning it must be that we have lived and we have loved with the best We had to give with our hearts, live life and savor it, for it is all that's real. Maybes aren't good enough, so we'll take the moment. Make the moment, live the moment, love the moment now. Negging boy explains it all. Do you want to know the superpower of the chunky, nearsighted, 50-something woman behind a computer in a coffee shop? It's the power of invisibility. And so it was that one Sunday evening in Barnes & Noble, I was the invisible witness to an unbelievable conversation. I tell it here as a cautionary tale to girls and young women everywhere. Two young men were talking. One a slim, well-dressed black man in his late 20s or early 30s, the other a stockier, much more casually dressed white man with a shaved head, mid-30s to early 40s. For our purposes, they will be smarmy young guy and smarmy bald guy. <laughs> they talked mostly with each other and also with a very pretty young African-American woman dressed in sharp business casual who was trying to work. She knew smarmy young guy, but hadn't seen him for a while. You will soon know why. She said she was studying for the MCAT, the medical school exam, but she wanted to be a lawyer. She was keeping her options open, she said. The two guys were talking about the way they meet women, and specifically women who might be out of their league. The technique, they said, is to find a way to neg her to say something just a little bit negative in a very subtle way that will get under her skin and make her doubt herself just a little, just enough for her to decide he might be good enough for her after all. What, says the young woman, echoing my own silent, invisible response. Both men apparently knew this term, negging, and were only too happy to offer their completely unsolicited tutorial. As smarmy bald guy explained it, he sees this beautiful, confident woman, mindful of her appearance, knows she's beautiful, has always been told she's beautiful, knows she can have any man she wants, and he knows he has no chance at all with her. But he approaches her with something like, 
That's a beautiful dress you're wearing. I saw you wearing that same dress in that other club just last week. What? She pounces on this. How do you know? She asks indignantly, and I'm thinking, yeah, are you stalking her? I don't say that out loud, because being invisible and all. He answers, I don't. I'm taking a shot. And she says, well, a woman who's really that confident and concerned about her appearance would never be wearing the same dress out two weeks in a row. Really? Wow, different worlds. (laughs) But I digress. So he says, yeah, okay, you're probably right. You got me. Bad example. But trust me, it works. Just some little negative comment. What a doofus. And smarmy young guy says, yeah, like the shoes. Sometimes I'll say, wow, great shoes. They look comfortable because, you know, comfortable. That's the kiss of death for women in shoes. They look comfortable. Seriously? She snaps right back on this one. Hey, now, these are really cute little shoes I'm wearing right now. And they are great little flats. But if someone told me they look comfortable, I wouldn't feel insulted because they are. Strike two. Smarmy ball guy chimes back in. Well, trust me, it works. And if I do it well, she doesn't even know I'm doing it. And then he manages to sink to a new low. Like, if she has just a little pooch of a belly, nothing really, but you know, to her it seems enormous. You find some subtle way to mention that. And I wonder who the is falling for this, this? I live such a sheltered life, hanging out with Unitarian Universalist men (laughs) who have at least learned the lyrics, if not always the tune and the meaning. In retrospect, I did wonder just a little if describing the tactic was actually the tactic. Because after all, she did engage and even said that a man who made her laugh would be far more likely to gain her attention than some jerk trying to neg her. And these guys had unquestionably made her laugh with all that talk about negging. But there's laughing, and then there's laughing. He's out there, my young sisters, you have been warned. Listen to the wonder, see the mystery, and always move in peace. With the light of hope and justice and truth in our hearts, 